Welcome to The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists, examining timely psychological trends and excellence in clinical practice. I'm Dr. Samuel Luskarton. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Leah Katz, a licensed psychologist practicing in Portland, Oregon, and the author of a new book called Gutsy, Mindfulness Practices for Everyday Bravery. Dr. Katz completed her doctoral training in clinical psychology at Furkoff Graduate School of Psychology in New York. Eventually, she moved out west and has recently established a solo private practice. Throughout her training and early career, she envisioned writing professionally and is now a published author and popular influencer on mindfulness, bravery, and all-around gutsiness. Leah, thank you so much for being with us today, and welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me, Sam. I've been looking forward to our conversation for a while. Likewise, likewise. Well, and as you know, since we talked a little bit before the recording started, I've been reading and listening to your book, um, and I had the opportunity to to dig in and learn a little bit more about your story too, which I found Mm -hmm. was so unique Mm -hmm. and clearly was at the heart, it seemed like, of of Gutsy, this this new book of yours too, that this isn't just a a how-to manage your anxiety book at a distance. This is seemingly like you to the core. I mean, your lived experiences throughout this book from being a part of a what sounded like an Orthodox Jewish community um, in Muncie, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and so one moment you're going from childhood to, to adulthood and, and taking a clinical concept and kind of weaving it throughout what sounds like your story. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to hear a little bit more about your background and, and also whether or not that felt vulnerable to you to, mm-hmm. to be sharing yourself in this way. Yeah. Um, these are all such great places to start. And I love that you asked that because, um, oftentimes when I talk about the concepts and gutsy, it turns more clinical, which is important too, but you're absolutely right. When I started and when I went, when I set out to write this book, that was my intention to make it different than, you know, an academic book on how to manage anxiety or how to bring mindfulness into our life, because I felt like, the concepts that I feel so passionate about clinically are things that I've worked with personally, and I wanted to find a way to blend the two, you know, so to blend research, clinical anecdotes um, together with my own story. And so thank you for, thank you for acknowledging that. Um, And it did feel, it did feel like a pretty vulnerable, vulnerable process for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, I'll say that the published book is very different from my initial manuscript (laughs) in terms of, you know, all the different iterations it went through and edits it went through and deciding what to keep in and what to take out in terms of my personal story, because I wanted to be very respectful of the journey that I took, you know, Mm -hmm. differentiating from this very uh, strict religious culture and finding myself and not wanting to, you know, because I think sometimes there are some books that do have that uh, memoir-esque type of story. And sometimes it can feel a little bit uh, judgmental to other cultures or places. And I wanted to be super careful not mm-hmm. to do that. And so um, so sharing what I did share felt vulnerable, but it also felt like I landed in a good place in terms of how I shared it and what I decided to share. Leah, I'm, I'm in the moment. I didn't even think about this question until we're talking here today. Mm-hmm. And there's this really distanced kind of viewpoint. I feel like comes from maybe older practitioner, not not older uh, types of practices, mm-hmm. rather like um, older theoretical orientations, more psychoanalytical 
practitioners that may believe that being really pretty removed from Mm -hmm. that therapeutic process is Mm -hmm. important. Um, That objectivity is really important. And I'm wondering how you conceptualize around this idea of like bringing yourself into the, the process in a way. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm so glad you raised this one too, because it is something that I did get when I first came up with the concept of my book and I was sharing it with friends and some colleagues, even that would, that question came up, but, you know, because it is this interesting thing that we hold, you know, in terms of how we curate a safe environment for our clients and therapy and how it is not about us. It is all about the clients in the therapy room. And so how can I hold this piece of writing a book where there is a lot of self-disclosure um, as a psychologist and as a therapist who's in private practice and who's seeing clients. And, and I, you know, I think that the, the way that I frame it and view it is that when I'm a, practicing as a psychologist and doing my clinical work, of course, it is all about the therapist and there's very, very little disclosure in the work that I do. Um, and this is not that this is, mm-hmm. you know, this, so I'm a psychologist and I'm also a writer, you know, and I was mm-hmm. a writer before I published this book. I wrote for psychology today quite frequently. I, you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned the Instagram, you know, I had, had this mental health blog, I call it on Instagram. And so this is writing and sharing, um, sharing the universal stories of what it means to be human. And I think that there's something so touching and profound in that, you know, and I think that I've been inspired through works of writing that I've read from psychologists, but not even others, you know, mental health professionals where people share uh, their own story and we Mm -hmm. realize how much, even if the content changes, you know, so we're dealing with different stressors or different things that we're working with. There's so much universalness in what we deal with as humans in terms of pain and suffering and sorting things through. And so um, I think that that's just where I landed. And I feel good about that. You know, that this is, this is Mm -hmm. my, this is my book and this is me as a writer. And yes, I'm a Mm -hmm. psychologist and my clinical work looks different than my writing. Leah, I I really appreciate you sharing that, that insight and also your own process and and coming Mm -hmm. up with the the book and the writing Mm -hmm. process too. To me, I, I think I hold a, a big value of destigmatizing access and 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 going mm-hmm. to see a mental health provider, mm-hmm. like such an important piece mm-hmm. of the puzzle for us as in our society. And I think it's also incumbent on us as psychologists to be doing some of that work too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, in many ways, I reacted to your book as a almost a message to mental health providers too, mm-hmm. to, to try and find a way to weave through that delicate balance as well. Yeah. Yeah. That that we have a way of being able to destigmatize mental health as mental health providers. Like to be able yep. to say we may struggle with these things too. One of the first things I do whenever I talk with people, they're like, oh, you're a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I say, yeah. And and mm-hmm. we have all of our own same problems and similar exactly. problems too. And we, yeah. we have things that have impacted us and we are not perfect people too. Exactly. And yeah. And, and so I, I really appreciated, like, I don't know that you ever explicitly said it in your book, mm-hmm. but it seemed like such an implicit message mm-hmm. for readers mm-hmm. and listeners to take away. Yeah, thank you. And that was very intentional also because thinking about, you know, my my journey and the conversations I've had with mentors and my own therapist that have really impacted me, you know, and when there were little mm-hmm. bits of disclosure about, I remember, and I, I don't think I put it in the book in the final version, but 
the therapist I was seeing years and years ago. And when she told me that she was, she struggled with something similar or something, there's something so reassuring and relieving about hearing that from the people that you look up to, you know, that Mm -hmm. like, we feel like, oh, you know, okay, am I really alone in this? Or the people that I looked up up to, they have it all together, right? There's a solution, especially when, you know, we will probably talk more about this later, but with social media and what we see on social media, like we just see this like little sliver of almost Mm -hmm. perfection from a lot of people. And it could feel very lonely if we're struggling. And I think there's a lot of power and just, in just saying, yeah, we're all human and we're all dealing with stuff, you know? So there's that aspect. And there's also the aspect, you know, of what I talked about in the book and really wanting it to not just be conceptual, but also be something that hopefully was, um, breathing, breathing through the words that I wrote, you know, this, the Mm -hmm. the walk with authenticity and mindfulness Mm -hmm. and self-awareness, you know, that it's not just something that we write about on a page, but it's something that we actively practice, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and what better way to practice that than, and embody it than, and do it and do it in a way that feels comfortable, you know? So, like I said, the the manuscript went through a lot of versions. There's a lot of stuff that had been in there in the first man in the first edition that is not in there because I didn't feel comfortable publishing it. And I didn't want to put that in there, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so finding a place where we feel comfortable. And I think it, it is a very, I, you know, just again, like from how I've been shaped by disclosures of people that I look up to, you know, knowing that that's something that a lot of people um, could benefit from. Right, right. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for elaborating on it too. I'm I'm also struck from the title and then throughout the book, it's not just a theme, but the words gutsy or gutsiness, mm-hmm. or I believe courage or even bravery, you bring those words in quite regularly into this mm-hmm. text. And I have been working, especially because I work with probably 90% plus male identified mm-hmm. clients. I have been working in consciously over the years to, to start bringing in the word brave and mm-hmm. courageous on a really routine basis, mm-hmm. because these are really powerful moments that are happening in our clinical work. Yeah, And I think that it doesn't necessarily fit these stereotypes of some of the types of masculinities that we Mm -hmm. see out there. And so I'm constantly bringing Mm -hmm. in like when there's emotional vulnerability or when I see in this immediacy, like some sort of touching moment between us, between Mm -hmm. my client and I, I'm constantly kind of working to bring in those words. in. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, how you hope that readers hear those words and, and how you settled on them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, before I address that, I think it's a beautiful thing that you offer your clients, you know, especially, you know, with, there's so much conversation now around masculinity and emotions and permission to be emotive and does take a lot of bravery to step outside of norms. Um, So that's a beautiful thing. Uh, Yes. I mean, so the word, the words gutsy and brave and courageous to me, you know, or I think to a lot of us hearken on these big acts of, you know, something big and outstanding that's super noticeable or that we feel Mm -hmm. like, Oh, wow, that was a big deal. And I'm totally, and, you know, and I think that that was like the whole message behind my book is learning to flip that and shift that, you know, into like the very, very small, sometimes almost intangible things that we do that build Mm -hmm. on each other to cultivate this theme and this dynamic of bravery in our lives. And so um, it's the small things. And I talk about this when I, cause I blend mindfulness ideas into and research about mindfulness into the book as well. But um, there's, you know, even the fact that research shows this correlation between 
bravery and having a mindfulness practice, you know, that the two Mm. go hand in hand. So there's bravery in simply sitting down and just facing what's going on inside of you in this very moment, you know, and Uh it's out, you know, and I think the cool thing about mindfulness is sometimes it's the, it's the most intuitive, simple things that are the most life-changing and profound, right? Because a lot of people might hear that a lot of listeners might hear them be like, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. That takes bravery. But how much of us are actually doing that? And how many of us are actually avoiding, you know, there's some, we're having a hard day or there's a hard situation going on in our lives. And so Mm -hmm. we turn to avoidance or escape behaviors or, or just watching TV, you know, all different kinds of things. And there's so much bravery and just saying, you know, there's something going on for me. I'm going to pause for just a few minutes Mm -hmm. and tune inward and just, and just take an honest look at what's happening here inside of me, you know, whether it's how, how's my body, you know, I always, and this is like, as clinicians, like, how's my body feeling? What's happening Mm -hmm. in my mind? What, how, where are my thoughts and what emotions am I having? And just that alone and creating Mm -hmm. more of a habit in doing that. There's tremendous bravery in that, you know, so that's just like a little piece of self-awareness, but then that we build on that, you know, in terms of the little brave actions we can take or Mm -hmm. um, other things. Leah, I'm, I'm I'm just sort of having that reaction that the idea, as so many ideas, sounds simple, but it's really radical in that context. Yeah, it's really radical in that context to reframe bravery. That where we're moving from more of maybe one from like we have these definitions of heroism, and that's mm-hmm. to go mm-hmm. to space is to be brave, mm-hmm. and now to take space for yourself is brave. Yeah. Wow. Which is really, really powerful when I hear you say that. So it's kind of a radical idea as you talk about that, Leah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, go ahead. ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, you know, just to build off of what you said, like from, and maybe you can resonate with this too, but I know from my own personal experiences, because I I do try and create, you know, have a mindfulness practice in my day to day. And so much of the time I do notice myself like telling myself, oh, I'm too busy for that today. I'm too busy to sit Mm -hmm. and meditate. And if mm-hmm. I pause and reflect, oh, it's really maybe because I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed and I just don't want to like, I just don't want to think about right. what's there. And so just like the act of going to sit here and be with this now, and that's mm-hmm. okay. I'll be, I'm okay with that, you know, is, mm-hmm. is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In some of the answers you're, you're giving me too. And in this conversation, I'm, I'm also starting to think about the theoretical bases. You've been alluding to some of those, like the mindfulness Mm -hmm. practices Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. well, and picked up hints when I was reading the book of ACT and CBT and and I think MBSR potentially, maybe Uh some Zen was thrown in there um, throughout the book. And I'm really curious how you're finding yourself integrating these skills with clients. How does this all come together? Because so much of at least my education was like, pick one, stick with one. Uh I'm hearing you try to integrate and and try to bring things together. So what does this look like to you? Yeah. And I love that question because I don't get asked that too often, (laughs) like in other venues. So it's so nice to be able to discuss it with a fellow clinician, you know, in terms of like the theoretical underpinnings of of the work. And there is a story there, you know, so I was trained Mm. in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy in graduate school. And probably like the first couple of years of my career and practice, um, practicing therapy, I used a lot of mostly CBT. And then I was recommended ACT from mm-hmm. fellow, you know, supervisors, probably, I don't even remember, it was something that, you know, this was going back many years. And so I read a lot on ACT and went for some ACT trainings and I loved it because I love mm-hmm. that it brought in this other element of learning to pay attention to to what's happening for us and then being able right. to um, connect to our goals and values. And then- a mindfulness. So, so I was using a blend of like CBT and act. And then when I went, I talk about this in my book a little bit, I think, but I went, I went on my first mindfulness retreat. Um, now it's almost nine years ago. I think, well, time flies almost been Mm. nine years. 
I think. And um, it was a mindfulness-based stress reduction, seven-day retreat with John Kabat-Zinn and Saki Santarelli. Um, And that was where I had this really life-changing experience because it was the first time that I really meditated in that kind of way at all and really uh, got to experience it. And I, it's funny because I remember um, asking one of the retreat leaders like, oh, so is my, because I was coming in with a CBT act background as a clinician. And, you know, I, I remember like thinking, okay, I'm doing this for my professional development. Like little did I know how much it would personally change my own life. But like, that Mm -hmm. was the attitude that I went into this retreat with. And I remember asking one of the retreat leaders like, so, so mindfulness is, it's like act, right? And Mm -hmm. so they said, well, it's different because act is this, you know, the cerebral exercise, which it's amazing and powerful and profound of like learning Mm -hmm. to, to diffuse from our emotions and our experiences and then be able to connect to what's valuable to us. Mindfulness is just this practice of it's, it's like a very non-cerebral experience. It's just, can I just be present and compassionate with what is. Um, And so when I started that practice on, on my own, and I did go for some more MBSR training um, and then further down the line, I went for some MBCT training, the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, here's the blend of CBT and mindfulness that I've always been looking for. You know, sure. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and I went on an MBCT retreat a bunch of years ago. So um, so that was sort of my journey. So I was sort of CBT, then ACT, and then I found mindfulness. And I feel like mindfulness is kind of the cushion that holds it all. And mm-hmm. they all are like beautiful complements of one another because they're just different ways of targeting what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I'm, I'm thinking about if I put myself in either a reader's shoes or client's shoes, let's say I'm, I'm game and I'm, I'm interested in, in sort of finding my inner bravery or gutsiness. Mm-hmm. What does that process look like? Yeah. I think it's like what we were saying before, starting small, you know, so it's okay. Hold on a second. Like, let's not get too ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> let's just mm-hmm. look like the very next thing. What's something like it's, it's, what's the next thing that I want to do that I'm feeling afraid to do, you know, it could be mm-hmm. like making a phone call or having a conversation with someone that you really feel like you need to have, or it might be applying for a job that you've been thinking, you know, like what's the very small next thing that, so breaking it down into something small, but I would say even before that it's backtracking and it's building the self-awareness, you know? So maybe it's, if I would offer this, you know, something concrete and tangible, tangible, you know, create Mm -hmm. a moment to pause with yourself. What, Mm -hmm. what's going on for me? What's here? Are there ways that I'm feeling stuck? You know, like what's happening mm-hmm. in my body? What's happening in my thoughts? And now how can I do something small? Take a small little action um, mm-hmm. based off of what I've just found. And I think that, mm-hmm. that that can be profound. And even like what we were saying before, just deciding to sit and yeah. pay attention is an act of bravery, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we celebrate those successes. Like, right, that's important too, especially for people totally. who tend to be high achievers and perfectionists, we tend to just like do move on from one thing to the next. Okay. Check. I did that next thing. Mm -hmm. But before we move on to the next thing, say, wow, like that was, that was different. And that was brave. Mm -hmm. And that was hard for me to do like way to go way to go me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm zooming in on that concept of, of celebrating even the small wins. Yeah. Such a huge part of my clinical work. Yeah. Such a huge part. And, and there's so many moments where I'm asking folks like, oh, wonderful. Like, congratulations. And, and how will you be celebrating yourself or how, what will Uh you do next? Or how are you going to take care of yourself given what you've gone through? And it's on to the next thing that kind of automatic, like, okay, I got to do this next. I got to do this next. And I, and I relate to it, resonate with it so much, Yeah, especially uh, maybe you can relate to this as a fellow psychologist. Like there's so much, okay, next step, next step, next step. Well, I got into graduate school. Okay. Well, I got to get into this practicum site. Okay. Next year I got to get into this thing and, Ooh, I'm hoping to go here for internship. And then, and so there's a lot of nexting. 
and and being able to take that moment to recognize oneself and and take mm-hmm. that pause uh, to celebrate oneself it sounds you know to borrow your work pretty um, brave too. Yeah, yeah, and you know a word that comes to my mind when I hear you talk about that is is the mm-hmm. word savor. You know, like just to savor mm-hmm. those moments. You know, like there's something so it's pausing and noticing, but the savoring is something I think that. Right sinks a little deeper, even like into our bodies. And then that's something mm-hmm. that we can come back to the next time, you know, we're thinking about doing something, but we're afraid and we're thinking, okay, well, can I be brave? Oh, that feeling that I got after I did that last scary thing, you know, like that we mm-hmm. savored so we can feel it again in our bodies. We can come back to it. Mm-hmm. I want that again. And I can, I can access that again by showing up yeah. for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I like that word too. Yeah. It makes me think of a, a good meal I was having the other day. So I like that a lot. <laughs> um, no, that's great. Um, so I want to switch gears here. We've been talking about you a little bit and your background and and the book, which I really, really, I'm so thankful to be able to talk to to you. It's rare that I read a book and then I get to talk to the very person who wrote that book and and Mm -hmm. kind of pick their brain on it. But, um, both selfishly and also I think for many of the listeners out there today, I kind of want to talk a little bit about social media. Mm -hmm. You've built a heck of a following. And Mm -hmm. at last count, I think you were like 170,000 or nearing 170 thousand on Instagram. And in case listener, you have not uh, checked out uh, her Instagram, I believe it's at dr. Dr. Period Leia Katz. And, and there you're going to see a number of kind of thoughts and, and kind of reflections that writing that sh- she's been alluding to throughout our talk today. And I'm really curious, like, mm-hmm. h- how did you grow this audience? What did this process look like? And, mm-hmm. and I think that there's something that I'm, I want to ask as we talk about this, which is about the importance of our own kind of public health messaging Mm-hmm. that we can engage in a social media context. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, like, how did this come to be? How did you to come to, to have this following? And what's it like? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's fun. I don't get to talk about this too much either. And it's it's a fun one. It's fun to talk about. So it's funny, because I had not had I had not been on Instagram uh, before, I don't know, I'm thinking like three, three years ago, you know, it was like when I got on mm-hmm. it, and I got on it, something like that, or maybe a little bit under three years because I was told, so I had written my book and I had this manuscript mm-hmm. and I was um, hoping to get it published. And I went to different agents to try and get it published. And I was told unanimously, you know, oh. no one's going to traditionally publish you if you don't have an author platform. So I was right. like, oh, author platform. Okay. Let me go look, Google that. <laughs> What's uh-huh. an author platform. And so that's uh-huh. basically, you know, just having an online presence and have your writing out there and your work out there. So people get to know you and that people will be interested in you enough to want to maybe buy your book. So, um, so that's where the online presence idea came from. And that's where Instagram came from. And I started writing for psychology today, um, at the same time too. And I started, you know, uh, slowly building this Instagram platform, not quite sure what I was going to do with it or where it would take me, but, um, it's been really fun for me, you know? So I, I actually really do enjoy having another outlet and another means to write about and talk about mental health, Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's just, I'm just thinking how, what else I can share about it. I mean, I think that in terms of like what I've done with it is been really consistent. So I, I post most days, a mental health idea that I'm having. Sometimes it's something that like I'm thinking about personally. Sometimes it's something, a theme that's coming up in sessions that I'm having, you know, just ideas mm-hmm. about mental health. 
um, in terms of making sure that I'm doing it in a way that feels right and appropriate. You know, I'm always very careful. And there's disclaimers on my page. It's educational, informational, not meant to diagnose or treat. And, you know, um, no advice on Instagram. So I treat it kind of like a mental health blog blog, or almost as like an extension of my writing my book. Um, Mm And um, I will say that because it does feel like social media sometimes can feel like the wild west a little bit in terms right. of like, there's so much out there and there's so much content. And um, I did consult with um, with a with a lawyer about, you know, just the ethics of being who specializes mm-hmm. in ethics and social media and psychologists and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I did consult with someone because I wanted to make wow. sure that I was doing it right because it is it is a new venue. I mean, I'm thinking even when I when you asked that question, when we started, when I started my graduate school training, but that's a long time ago. But when I started it, Facebook, you know, Facebook was a thing. And mm-hmm. we were told in my very first externship practicum training that we were not allowed to have a public Facebook profile. Like we had to make sure. it private. It just, you know, so that clients couldn't find us. Not like that. I would, you know, it was just like, you just couldn't be on the internet in that sort of way, in like this not professional way. So I think that things have evolved tremendously. And there's a lot of psychologists on um, Instagram, I've connected with some of them. So that helps too, to just have like a little, uh, cohort of other psychologists mm-hmm. who are there and sometimes run ideas past them. Um, yeah, but it's just an, it's an interesting and evolving thing. Mm-hmm. And I think your platform and what, what I've read thus far, there's a real, I think a broadcasting of mental health positivity and wellness on the flip side though, I think we can both acknowledge that there are some dark, dark sides Mm -hmm. of social media too, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where things are either gone wrong or um, even the responses can become inappropriate and the commentators too. And I'm curious, like when you're operating in this, this context of, of mental health and and wellness in general, what's it been like when people comment and and how have people shared about concerns and how do people tend to respond to what you're posting? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that anytime that you put yourself in any sort of public light, whether it's, you know, speaking or writing a book too, you know, like there's reviews, you get reviews, you can't control what reviews you get or who's going to write what on your, you know, like Amazon review page. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's it's the same thing with Instagram. You just can't, you know, so you can't control it. So I think what's important is just sort of like maintaining an integrity to yourself and understanding of why you're doing it. You know, so why Mm -hmm. I remind myself, like, why am I doing this still? You know, like I've published, my book is out. Why am I still doing this? So Mm -hmm. I really enjoy doing this and making sure that I'm doing it in a way that feels right to me. And then, um, you know, there's always, I mean, it's just, it's just the, it's just par for the course. Anytime you're in these public forums and people get to be anonymous, people are going to say hurtful things. People will take what you say out of context, um, you know, focus on one line of a post as opposed to reading the whole thing um, Mm -hmm. and get upset about it. Uh, And you just have to just, it's okay. You know, that's sort of the way that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Not get too worked up about it. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to borrow some of that energy um, for, for when I hear some of that feedback too, I really appreciate like, it it sounds like you've, you've developed a, a, an ability to, to take on some of that feedback and and let it kind of roll over you too. Yeah. I I think part of that's me doing my own work too, you know? So like Uh me, like understanding more of myself, well, why, why does this feel so bad? Where's that coming from? Okay. What can Mm -hmm. I do? What can I do with that part? You know, like the part of me. And I think a lot of us, especially people who are, you know, high achievers and want to do more, you know, like tend to be pretty hard on ourselves and expect everyone should, you know, everyone should like everything we write all the time, or everyone should always understand what we're trying to say. And so trying to like, sort of just work with that, like, well, where, who says, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not my job to get everyone to like everything I write. And and this is, again, it's like, this is why I'm doing it. And hopefully Mm -hmm. it's helpful to some people and, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Leah, thank you so much for for breaking down a little bit about your background and what informed so much of this book, and then even kind of getting into the the clinical side of things. This is the clinical consult after all. So I appreciate you you kind of digging into your own background and theoretical approaches and how they kind of come together. And and again, even in your answers, how much it seems to be personally informed too by your own growth as well. Mm. It seems like such a natural fit when you describe it. And then also to, to kind of give us a little bit of a a brief intro into to how this came to be in terms of the social media presence and, and building that out. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's really, really thrilling to be able to talk with you, like I said earlier, to be able to talk with someone after I've read their book. And I'm excited to to kind of take what I've learned and, and put it into my clinical practice as well. If you'd like to learn more about Leah, you can find her on Instagram at Dr. Period Leah Katz. That's Dr. Period Leah Katz, or buy her book. Gutsy on Amazon and a number of uh, booksellers across the country, if I uh, got that correctly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I I want to encourage you all to, to check that out. And we will try to throw a link to that in our show notes as well so that people can check that out. Thank you so much, Leah, for being here. Oh, thank Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am Dr. Samuel Lesgarten. This has been The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. As a reminder... All episodes provide general information for discussion purposes only and don't serve as formal clinical advice or continuing education. 